It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live on the free Odyssey app. Our mic's a mess. There we go. Now we can hear. All right. Loud and clear in your earballs. Now, of course, I'm way too loud in my ears. What a rousing start to a Monday edition of the show. Anthony, how are you doing over there? How's your weekend? Uh, my weekend was cut short, Craig. What What happened? Uh, we just happened to have two days this weekend as opposed to three. What? I mean, that's what a normal weekend is. I know. I know it's. I, I the, Anthony, we've just been lucky with the way the holidays that, fell. That, that's what I'm saying. They didn't actually change the rules. Oh, so it wasn't really cut short. No, it, was it wasn't cut so, short. This is this uh, is reality. It was a short weekend. Yeah, we're back, bro. Yeah, um, I'm having a hard time. You know. Um, facing that reality. Yeah. That's so the good news is in like a couple weeks, we got another one. Okay. Because next next weekend, full week of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, although Friday will be a little bit different because Friday we got to be in. Well, actually, you might just have to ski daddle on up there after. I don't know how that's working. I'm doing the show from somewhere in Bethesda. So next at least Friday? I don't have. Next Friday. Yeah. Because uh, we got our event at Beth- the Bethesda Theater, mm-hmm. uh, 106.7 The Fan versus the Team 980 Live. And so in order for your boy to be on time for that, I'm just going to do the show somewhere in Bethesda. So I don't know whether I'm going to go to Sheehan's studio, whether we're just going to set me up with the Comrex. The- I, I want to I do a show for an empty theater. I want to be on stage at the Bethesda Theater doing a show to an empty crowd. I think that would be hilarious. Wow. We can, we can make it a sound check. We can do all, we can do whatever we need. Okay. We'll talk to CK about that. Yeah. I'm probably more realistically just going to go to Sheehan's studio and be like, Kevin, let me in. Or whoever it is that does that. And then the, the following week will be different because that's Super Bowl week and I'll be in Vegas starting. So I'm, I'm off on Tuesday because I got to fly there and it's far away and flight times aren't kind to radio shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the week after, the week after is a normal week. But the week after that's President's Day. Yes, sir. So we're getting there. And the week after that's the NFL Combine. And so your boy's heading out there again. Been in Indianapolis for a couple days. Mm. So got a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, we do. Um, I don't know when you're going to. Outside of President's Day, a lot of that stuff was on my end of the equation. (laughs) Sorry about that. Really, Uh, I just felt like a, now I just feel like a giant jerk. I just rubbed it in. No, nah, I won't have any. Uh, I'll have four weeks until the end of February. I'll be going to uh, Zaire's bachelor's party. Right. Yeah. Right. That's it. Um. Okay. Well, that's that'll be fun. You get that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. It's only a month away. That's a long month. It is, but it's a good month. Commanders are going to hire a head coach. There'll be the Super Bowl combine, one four day week. Won't be so bad. I like the sound of that. Thanks. We're going with we're going with some optimism. Yes. You know what else we're going with on a Monday? What? First and ten. Yeah, bring that back. It's time to get the breakdown started. First up, ten observations. It's first and ten. We do this every week during the regular season. Ten observations from the Commanders game before the playoffs. Sans Commanders, uh, which unfortunately has been the norm, at least since we've been doing the show the last couple of years. We take observations from the games of the weekend. So we'll 
do probably five apiece from the championship games this coming weekend. We'll do 10 from the Super Bowl. But we got uh, all over the place number for the divisional weekend. Uh, also, Anthony, I don't, I'm don't. i not logged in on uh, this computer yet. It was a Monday. Nothing was logged in, uh, which is fine. They, it's not anybody's fault. They just probably reset the stuff over the weekend. I mean, half the rooster stuff still in here, if I'm being honest. His, his like suitcase backpack is in here. Uh, so we we had a, a, a nice little changeover. So long story short, Anthony, do you have the numbers, please? Yes, sir. And number one. Uh, this isn't the most important thing in the short term, but it might wind up being the most important thing in the long term. I hope everyone realizes how good Patty Mahomes is in football. And if you are in some kind of denial that he is already one of the greatest all to- of all time. The fact is, if he could, re- if he retired at the end of this season, no matter what happened, Patrick Mahomes has had a Hall of Fame career already. But he's only 28. And he is now going to his sixth straight AFC title game to begin his career as a starter. He has six for six. That is like the silly LeBron stat when he went to eight straight Eastern Conference Finals, except for he was a decade in or not a decade in, he was uh, about eight years into his career already. Patrick Mahomes just started there, and like he is supposed to be entering his prime now, somewhere between 27 and 31 as an NFL quarterback, right? Like He's in his prime, and he had stacked insane results before he got there, and it's seemingly just getting better. His consistency is off the charts. He is 6-for-6 to start his career. If he wins the Super Bowl this year, two more wins, I believe I read the other day that he would be uh, third all-time in career playoff wins. Not before the age of 30. Period. Like, ahead of Peyton Manning, ahead of Drew Brees, ahead of... He's already ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Like, he'd be ahead of all of them. The only two guys that have... it Once Mahomes wins two more playoff games, and I say once because it feels inevitable, will be Brady and Montana. And he's 28 years old. I don't know that they're going to win this weekend against Baltimore. I think they'll obviously be underdogs. Um, this was the, amazingly the first time ever that he's had to play on the road. He answered that challenge, uh, made big throws, made big plays with his legs. He always does play off Pat. Like it's a thing. He just runs more in, in, in key situations and makes plays. He and Kelsey were magnificent. Rashi Rice is emerging. Like, there's so many good things happening for the Chiefs that we'll obviously continue to talk about because, well, they're still alive. But just, I hope people appreciate how freaking good Patrick Mahomes is because by the eye test and day by day by the numbers, like, this is probably the guy that's played quarterback better than anyone else that we've ever seen play. Both in the height of what he can do on any given play and... Of course, the consistency with which he does it. Okay. Bigger picture thought. Number two. Well, at least in the immediacy of football, hard to be bigger picture than, hey, we could be watching the greatest quarterback of all time. But you have to run the ball to be serious in this league. And it's kind of a truth that I think we've known intellectually forever because teams that win run the football. And there is some confirmation bias there where like, yeah, if you are up at the end of games, you run the football and so the good teams inevitably do, but how do they actually get the leads? Well, they pass it. And we know that you pass to score in the league as well. It's like, Craig, aren't those two things contradictory? And the answer is no. And I, and I think that this year with the commanders put this 
into perspective for me in a really tremendous way. Um, but seeing how these teams, these final four, build their offenses is like it's just undeniable that there is a balance somewhere that is optimal. And that balance comes from pursuing running the football because it just gives you a schematic advantage with the looks that defenses give you because they're terrified to give up the run. Because the alternative is they give up the run and there's nothing more demoralizing in the sport and the emotional toll it takes is just have the ball run down your throat. So eventually you do bring that extra safety down in the box. You do go to heavier personnel and you see these really smart offensive coordinators from Andy Reid to Todd Munkin to Ben Johnson uh, to Kyle Shanahan the four main offensive drivers left, then use the play-action game, use misdirection, and create matchups with excellent players. And I, if you wanted to put a 2B to this, you have to have a good tight end to, to really excel and have great offense in this league. And all four of those teams have these teams either feature a run game as the key part of their offense, Detroit, San Francisco, Baltimore, or know when it's time to go there in, in Kansas City. Even with Patrick Mahomes, the guy that I talked about first, that I thought was more important than than like, hey, what's the tie that binds together the final four teams in this in the playoffs? The even with that guy at quarterback, Andy Reid is like, we got to run the football some. We got to have Isaiah Pacheco be a big part of what we do at this time of year, and that play action game then opens up, and the, and the adjustments the Bills have to make open up Travis Kelsey, the guy that everyone knows they want to go to for two touchdowns in the biggest game of the year so far. It's just, it's it's so obvious, it's so critical, which, again, to go back to the Commander's season, makes it so painful that they just refuse to do it, especially considering the young quarterback that they should have been protecting so much better. All right, number three. Number three. Uh, I hate to do this because he's, he's a terp. Um, I don't know that the Bills need to make major changes, but I do think it's time for the Stephon Diggs era to end in Buffalo and there's other changes they probably need to make but when they and honestly I don't know how much change they need to on, a, on some kind of massive scale like this is a team that was the best team in the league in the back half of the season and we'll talk to Mike Shope about this a little bit later uh, our buddy from up in Buffalo at WGR but it's like you know if you're if you're the best team in the league down the stretch and you've dug yourself this hole that you're digging out of the chances that you're going to finish the season winning 10 straight games is just slim to none, especially when the last four of them would come against some of the best teams in the league. And so, like, if you're if the Bills were allowed to keep playing the next two weeks and they won, they'd finish the season nine and one. But that's not good enough because the one happened at the wrong time, and that's that's the nature of single elimination uh, tournaments, which is essentially what the NFL playoffs are. But specific to kind of where I think it's time for them to to figure something else out, like. Stefan Diggs and kind of the the vibes around that have been off all year. It just it was awkward from training camp on. He had a down year production wise. You know, he was awesome to start the year and then and then just downhill from there. Um and if you cut him, you can actually save money, which is now really important because Josh Allen's number starts to balloon. Um you have to, a big dead cap money next year, but I think that dead cap is actually a little less than if you were to keep him. Um, so I know that sounds counterintuitive, but like you can either pay Steph on Diggs or pay the cap 22 million to keep Steph on Diggs, or you can pay the cap 19 to cut him. 
So it's 19 in dead cap because you didn't don't get the production, but it's actually cheaper than if he was on your roster. Um, so there's there's financial implications there, but I, I don't really think this is about the math. I think it's about trying to turn the page into the next phase of whatever the Buffalo Bills are going to be. And the Bills now enter, ironically, the same stage that the Chiefs are in and a similar stage that the Patriots went in in the middle of Brady's career, which is we now have the dude at quarterback. And obviously, like, maybe not obviously. I think Allen and Mahomes can go toe-to-toe. I think Allen is 92% of what Mahomes is. Um, The consistency is not as good. But the, the high-end stuff is there, and he's still pretty consistent. So can you get a better version of, of Allen and time it well in the playoffs? But also, how do you, knowing that you have the guy, that you can't upgrade that position reasonably, how do you reform your roster around him once the first group that you brought in to surround him as a young player on a cheaper contract ages and prices out? And this is the challenge, and I think part of that is going to be finding newer, younger, quicker, faster playmakers that maybe play to his strengths a little bit more. Uh, and it, not this isn't a shot at, at Diggs by any means, but and in fact, Diggs has been a guy that's been great at this for years. But you have to wonder on the north side of thirty if he can continue to do it. Is like getting some quicker playmakers. Where last night, Allen was so good and efficient, right at or behind the line of scrimmage. Just let him be a distributor, knowing that he can do that at an elite level. And you find guys like Rashi Rice has been found in Kansas City to to move them into the next generation. Or do you go what the Patriots did back in the day with the two tight ends, like now with Knox and um and Kincaid? Like there's there's options there, but they got to figure out what direction they want to go. Um, all right, let's move a little bit faster through these final six observations here to start. The Hoffman Show on this Monday after the divisional round. Number four. The cruelty of that game ending wide right is just too much for me. Um, it's just any, if the Bills had lost in any other heartbreaking fashion, I feel terrible for them, but it, it wouldn't feel cruel. This feels cruel. Bills, wide right? Are you serious? The second that thing started hooking, I just, I out loud went, oh no. And then proceeded to explain to my wife why that was the cruelest thing. Um, which she thought was just awful. Uh, and now we have to watch the Four Falls of Buffalo, 30 for 30. But uh, yeah, yikes. God, that sucks. Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, West on I-90. Number five. The Lions culture thing is real. We'll dive into this maybe later in the week. Um, but they they last year chose the word grit to be at the center of what they do. And the way they play and the players they brought in, everything they do is about grit. It's about toughness. It's about straining. It's about... Like, just doing all the little things. And that goes from how they coach and how they scheme to just, like, giving the quarterback the information. We'll go that extra mile for Jared Goff. To the toughness of a guy like Frank Ragnow, who sprained his knee and his ankle in the game and finished it out. Like, they just, they, they're strong up the middle. They have a great spine. Goff, obviously, a quarterback. But what they've done at the running back position, their investment they've made in, in the middle of their offensive line, middle linebacker, safety, like they have invested in the right spots. They've built the team the right way, and they've done it not only with investment in the right positions, but with the right people. And for all the the meatheads that want to think that developing people doesn't matter, Dan Campbell, who seems like the king of the meatheads, would be the first one to tell you that it's about who, not what they can do as football players. Because that's what happens when you focus on the who, is you get the best out of people and for people that are this talented, the winning happens almost as a side effect 
by doing it the right way. And and Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have built a culture there that is unimpeachable. And it's they're gonna they're gonna continue to win, in my opinion, for the next couple of years. And because they know how to look for the right things, there's a chance that this has an even longer leash than that because they'll just keep drafting well and you know even later uh, later and later picks they'll they'll be able to to keep the cupboard fresh uh, with good young talent. Number six, the Lions fan base is just as real. Um, it was really cool reading uh, or listening, obviously, to Tariko and them on the broadcast. But like a guy like Steve Levy, who was in the building yesterday, I saw a tweet from him saying, "I've never heard a crowd that loud." And when the offense was on the field, they were dead silent. And by the way, there were fewer road fans that I've seen at any sporting event, maybe in my entire career. And Steve Levy's covered everything, everything NFL, everything college football. Uh, he's obviously ESPN's main NHL guy. So he's Stanley Cup playoffs, like everything. Never seen anything like it. Um, and for a fan base that doesn't exactly have a lot of practice in big moments, like congrats to them. And I hope that's I hope that's us soon. I hope that's DC uh, here in in the next couple of years. But it just goes to show that good ownership goes a long way. And when the ownership changed over within the the Firestone Ford family, um, and they hired Holmes and hired Campbell, like that went a long, long way. So you know it, it can happen from inheritance and, and grandma giving up the team. Uh, or mom giving up the team, or it can happen from your owner getting pushed out of the league. Uh, but ownership makes a huge difference, and and uh, that matters. The fan base was incredible. Congrats to the whole entire city of Detroit and Lions fans. You waited a long time for this. Number seven. Uh, the 49ers did what good teams do, which is figured out when they weren't playing their best, how to win. Um, I mean, it was everyone, too. Kittle had a massive drop. Purdy was all over the place. Samuel goes out. And the last drive, offensively, they were nails. They just were like, all right, we got to go. It's time. And they nailed it. And then, obviously, uh, the defensively, they locked in as well. Um, Love, who's doing doing some good stuff. And they eventually just shut it down in that fourth quarter. Drake Greenlaw, the two picks. Also, 7A, if you will, in our first and 10. Drake Greenlaw, bro, you got to go down. Oh, my God, what a heart attack he gave Kyle Shanahan. You might just hear about that in real things to end the show. Number eight. The Packers' future is as bright as anyone's. They're the youngest team in the league. Love looks like he's for real. And Matt LaFleur is every bit as good as the other guys who are in that photo from Washington's 2013 staff. And he's always just an afterthought because Shanahan's kind of the godfather. Uh, McVay is McVay. McDaniels is this eccentric personality. And LaFleur was the guy who got to coach Aaron Rodgers. And like, yeah, I guess he's pretty good. No, LaFleur's awesome. And... Like good for him for continuing to to build it there. They have they have really set the foundation, and it seems like that Packers team is going to be good for years to come. Sometimes weird stuff happens, but when you're this good and you got the quarterback and you're this young, it seems pretty apparent that if they get the health stuff right, that this team is going to be a perennial playoff contender in the NFC North. So Lions Packers could be a good one for years to come. Number nine. Uh, as for some of the teams that got, uh, the other teams that got eliminated, Texans and Bucks, they're garden variety, very solid football teams. Um, they're good enough to make it to the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game with the right matchup, which is exactly what they did. But they're just not on the level of these other four teams. So for them, like hat tip, good job, great seasons. Really happy for both quarterbacks for different reasons that we can get into later in the show. But this was a proper time to exit for both of those teams. And last but not least, the team we haven't talked about yet. Number 10. The Baltimore Ravens, this is an earth-shattering analysis, but they are the best team in football, bar none. 
great season so far where they have just dominated all comers and they haven't left a doubt. And I think that's the thing that's so incredible. And at this point, like there's something about them that still feels a little off to me, but like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know better than this kind of season's worth of results. It just looks different. And I'm just, I'm accepting that you'd have to be so obtuse to not think that this is the best team. And does that mean they're going to win the Super Bowl? Not necessarily, but they've got everything. They can pass it. They can run it. Their pass defense is good. Their run defense is good. Their special teams is always good. They have a great kicker. Uh, if that if that's what you're worried about, like they're just they've rendered good teams inept, and they've got youth. They've got like I got any good thing you can say about an NFL football team, you can say about the Baltimore Ravens. And that's, that's about as good as I can do to try to put it into words of how good this team has been. Uh, so off we go to championship weekend. We got a week to talk about it, but that is our wrap. First and 10 style on divisional weekend. Now your turn. 301-230-0980. It's the Ace Law listener line. 301-230-0980. What is your one biggest takeaway from divisional weekend? Uh, your takes next on the often show it's the often show we're on the team 980 we're always live as well on the free odyssey app and you can give us a call at 301-230-0980 that is the ace law listener line if you're in a wreck ace law helps you get a check call 88 88 ace law again that's 301-230-0980 uh as we await some calls anthony uh always at 4 30 we we do a little poke we do a little prod and then and then we open the floodgates uh so i'm sure they'll flow in momentarily we're asking on the phone lines by the way what is your biggest takeaway from nfl divisional playoff weekend um anthony you had a good one uh when we were talking in the break What's your your big takeaway as you look at these final four teams remaining? Uh, I mean, year after year, I think we've constantly seen, you know, uh, offensive-minded head coach versus another offensive-minded head coach. And I know that's mainly uh, happened in the NFC. I want to say I've seen a tweet that said, like, the last six uh, NFL uh, NFC championships have featured an offensive-minded head coach versus another offensive-minded head coach. 13 of 14. Oh, I believe is. is the number that Grant put out yesterday. Wow. So, again, um, I just feel as though as we, you know, look at our offensive head coach search, maybe that is the, you know, the the way we, um, you know, we go and we try to lean on, you know, the analytics, the numbers in terms of, you know, rebuilding our, uh, our franchise. Because, again, what Mike McDonald's doing with the Ravens defense, it's, it's hard to, you know, go against, you know, considering him as a, a strong favorite. But, you know, we see the Ben Johnson, we see the Bobby Sloicks, and we see uh, what they're doing in the playoffs as well and uh, their work of art, you know, the last couple of years. So I think uh, as we uh, position ourselves, it's just something to keep in mind, uh, this trend that, you know, these offensive-minded head coaches seem to, you know, continue to end up in these uh, these places. So that would be my biggest, like, takeaway. Yeah. No, I think it's a great point, and it just – I don't know. To me, offensive coaching is like kind of how you shape things in this league. I think a guy like McDonald's super interesting because I think he takes a very offensive approach 
to defense. Um, now that can also backfire. Um, it, it, its name, uh, the backfiring in, in human form is Brandon Staley. I remember reading a piece that uh, my friend Jordan Rodriguez wrote in The Athletic back in 20, it would have been like 21, whenever it was that Staley was hired, whatever yeah. year that was. And she did this really great profile of talking about how like he really challenged Sean McVay as a coach. And part of the reason that he was so effective in practice and part of the reason that defense was so good uh, for L.A. with Staley at the helm and why I, I would certainly be interested in hiring him as a D.C. potentially is, and I actually wonder if McVay would want to bring him back if Raheem gets a head coaching job. That's an, The more I've thought about some of where these people could go, is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of a lot of options um, that are pretty scary with some of the coaches that just got fired. When you remember how good they were as coordinators, but anyway, the point is, um, like he he looked at how Sean was using a guy like Cooper Cup and was like, "How do I do that with Jalen Ramsey? How do I make sure that I position Jalen Ramsey week in week out to get the best matchup for us?" And the thought was he would go to L.A. across town with the Chargers and do the same thing with like Derwin James and the stuff that they were able to do with Aaron Donald, he would do with Nick Bosa and it never worked out or Joey Bosa. It, it never worked out. It just, he, there was other things about coaching defense and about coaching, uh, you know, NFL football as a head coach that, that he just clearly wasn't very good at. Um, but a guy like McDonald, I think takes a pretty interesting approach to, defense and I, I think he you know his success obviously can't be ignored I also think you can't ignore for instance that Anthony Weaver the D-line coach and assistant head coach for the Ravens also is getting head coaching jobs so like does the league know something there that it's like yeah obviously McDonald's the coordinator and he's been awesome everywhere he's been he's come up with the Ravens org John Harbaugh believes in him uh Jim believed in him and he was awesome his one year at Michigan but it, does the league know something that there's someone else on that staff that is getting a lot of head coaching looks as well um, versus a guy like Johnson who's kind of like, yep, nope, that's the guy. Um, you know, Slowick, for instance, you know, even Raheem in, in L.A. There's not the, the D-line coach or the D-backs coach in L.A. is not getting a look. Raheem Morris is. So I, I do think that's like an interesting thing that, again, I don't – I know it sounds like when I bring that up that I'm like doubting McDonald and – I it's more of just like that's a question that I would be curious to have answered and I don't know and the truth might be that both of those guys Weaver and McDonald are worthy head coaching candidates and there's a reason why both of them are getting it and and it, them together is why that team is a superpower but them apart they'd be pretty close to as good because they're both really smart anyway it kind of got away from your point of the offensive head coach but the way you think about offense the detail you have to think about it not to mention the continuity that you have to have uh, or that, that you can get with your offense and your quarterback seems like the most important thing. And I, I pulled up the recent NFC Championship game. So we can go back to, let's see, 20, 2016, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so this year you got Lions and Niners. T Campbell's an offensive guy. Kyle is. I mean, Kyle's played in the last three. Then last year, Sirianni uh, with the Eagles and then Sean. Uh, the Bucks in 2020 had Arians. The Packers in 19, was that McCarthy's last year? 
Nope, that was LaFleur uh, was was already there. The Rams and the Saints, Peyton versus versus uh, Sean. That was the, the pass interference game. Yeah. Uh, Eagles and Vikings. I mean, the Vikings 2017 is your last uh, your last guy. That was Mike Zimmer. Yep. That's your that's your one out of the last 14 uh, coaches to appear here. And then 2016 was Atlanta with Dan Quinn, I guess actually. So maybe it's tw- sorry, it's I guess 12 of 14. Um, that wasn't that wasn't Kyle. And well, no, Kyle was the OC. Oh, he was. But oh, oh, oh. Dan was the that, Dan Quinn yeah. was the head coach. Yeah. And then McCarthy was on the other sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even before that, you know, 2015, it's the Cardinals under Arians against Ron and and the Panthers. Then you have the, the Seahawks playing multiple years in a row. Um, obviously, they have Pete Carroll there. Packers with McCarthy. Niners with Harbaugh. You know, the Giants uh, back in the day. Now that we're all the way back to 2011 and and. Tom Coughlin. Good gracious. So Tom flies, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you keep going back and it's, it's offensive guys up and down, you know, with, with a rare exception. Mm. Um, and especially in the modern era of the league, the last, you know, since 2015 uh, or so when the league started to get even more and more and more pass happy, it's pretty obvious why those coaches work. And, you know, a lot of them come off the same tree. Um, and it's just the way offense has been able to attack defenses. And, and and I think that part of the reason is, too, and this just goes to, like, kind of how all, all these coaches think about the game and why someone like Raheem Morris doesn't worry me very much because I would, I would think he thinks about the game the same way just from defensive standpoint um, in terms of his background, although he did coach wide receivers and, and stuff in Atlanta, um, is – they kind of realize that, like, take what the defense gives you is the best way to play. It's like, we're going to build to run the football and then play action off of it, so we're always ready with pass stuff. We're always ready with run stuff. And as defenses have changed and gotten lighter because the league got so pass-happy, they've realized there's an inefficiency. Like, so much of success in business. Like, there's there's so much of business that doesn't carry over to sports but it, there it are distinct things that do. And sometimes the best business strategy is just be where they ain't. It's finding a market inefficiency and exploiting it. So it's going, hey, and this is what the Titans did, right? Under Vrabel with, with, with you know, Derrick Henry being the guy. It's like, all right, um, we're going to, huh, we're going to take all these light boxes and we know that passing the ball is more efficient based off the analytics, but we're going to build a house of an offensive line that are a bunch of nasty grinders. We're going to put a 235-pound tailback behind them, and we're going to run the ball 30 times a game. And it's going to work because we're going to be the zig when everyone else is zagging. Now, if everybody did that, defenses would adapt. So you have to be ahead of the curve if you're going to zig that hard. Mm-hmm. But what Kyle and his tree have discovered is a way to do both at once. Using the play-action game, using the run game, using personnel, running out of passing personnel, passing out of running personnel, subverting expectations. Like, these phrases that you hear is the basis of how they build it. And I think thinking about football that way 
helps you build a roster in a way that you draft a Sam Laporta. You draft a Jameer Gibbs if you're Detroit. You find the Debo Samuels and you're just like, yeah, I know what to do with this guy. What he's great at. Hey, Debo, go run these routes and we're going to hand you the ball four times a game. Like, in some ways, it's as simple as could be. In some ways, it's taking a huge risk because you're you're bucking tradition. You're bucking logic. Oh, you want to run out of run personnel and pass out of pass personnel. Like, actually, no, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to make it the identity of who we are because we're going to constantly put defenses in a bind. Someone who thinks about football like that, to me, is who I want running my football team. And the numbers would tell you that's incredibly successful because you also tend to think about defense that way and you find guys that are have multiple skill sets and, and yada, yada. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that's – yeah, Kyle Hamilton, Fred Warner. Mm-hmm. Like, you target a different football player and you see the results. They win a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, was it 12 of the last 14 in the NFC? I'll look up the AFC number in the break. Uh, 301-230-0980 is the Ace Law listener line. Uh, what is your biggest takeaway from NFL Divisional Weekend? 301-230-0980. Then Mike Shope joins us from Buffalo coming up at the top of the hour. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We're streaming live on YouTube uh, right now at the Team 980, where if people are watching, Anthony, they can see I'm not looking at the camera. I am looking at my laptop off camera. And that's how it's going to be for a moment, because uh, I'll, I'll let the audience in on a secret. Uh, Mike Shope is, is going to be on the show at 5 o'clock. He will not be live, something that the YouTube audience would figure out very quickly, because uh, we taped it a little bit earlier today, which means that you can see in the video that I am I am at home, in my home studio, not here, s- sitting across from Anthony uh, at our Team 980 studios. And when I went to export said video, Anthony, uh, my hard drive came undone. So if we want to actually have the Not My Beat segment on schedule next, we're going to have to re-export this guy real quick. Luckily, it's, it's easily done. My hard drive has stopped being a pain in, in the butt. And uh, we're going we're gonna to be good at 5 o'clock. That's that that scared me a little bit, but you know, I know how the hard drives are. You move it, just mine it, is so touchy. Yeah, I'm already knowing. You can be, you, you can barely look at it. To be yeah, honest, I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, also, do we have a phone charger somewhere around here? Oh, wait, is this actually? Oh, there's an iPhone charger in here, bro. I got on the train today to come here. I yep. looked down. My phone's at 19. percent Good gracious. I was like, when did that happen? I haven't been on my phone that much today. Did I not charge it that last night? Must not have. Man, I know I was listening to some podcasts this morning, but sheesh. Is this this not plugged in? Cool. Anthony, it, there's going to be a day in my life, this life, where all the technology works. That day ain't today. I'm already knowing. I'm already knowing. Like, that's... Right now, just I'm gonna get to. I want to rant about the worst rule in sports in a second, um, and I'll get there. But right now, I got a hard drive. That's no. See, like now it's saying it's gonna take six hours for this thing to export. That ain't. That ain't right. We're not. We're not playing that game. Absolutely not. Replace. 
export, get on your horse and go. Fight with you in a second. Worst case scenario, Anthony, you'll have the audio. The audio, that I'm not worried about. It's this video that we're uh, we're in a fight with. Yeah. So if you want to see me and Mike show up on YouTube at 5 o'clock, that could be a problem. Uh, anyway, I got a keyboard that doesn't work for the call screener, which is not why we haven't taken any calls. It's because none of y'all goobers have called yet. Uh, with your takeaways from Visional Weekend, you'd probably rather, I guess you'd rather hear me and Anthony's, which is fine. They do pay us. We don't pay you when you call in. Just, you know. That would be kind of a cool bit, though. What if we paid the callers? I think there would be a lot of people, including myself, lining up. We were weird to, to pay you. Here, here's what would be fun. I'll be double, double dipping. Uh, if we could, if we, you could call in and get paid, but only if your call was good. If your call sucks, we charge you. That would be high stakes game. Yeah, that, dig that would be tough. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of like it. I kind of wanna, I kind of wanna do it. Um, so you got that. Um, yeah, but I have the call screener uh, keyboard that doesn't work. I got a phone charger that's and, and an extension cord that's squadoosh. I got a laptop that's given me absolute hell to to try to export this interview. And um, other than that, how's your technology, Mrs. Lincoln? You know? You, you get that reference, right? Uh, I didn't catch the name. He said, other than that, how's the how's the, the technology, Mrs. Lincoln? As in, there was apparently a reporter back when Abe Lincoln got shot that asked uh, asked uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, Lincoln's wife, after her, her husband, the president, Abraham Lincoln, got assassinated. Uh, so other than, than the assassination, how is the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Because they got assassinated down the street at Ford's Theater, or she, yeah. got, he got assassinated out of play. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, never heard that story. Or you that. never heard that phrase? No. Okay. You learn something new every day, Craig. We're gonna have to run this one through the Yates filter. Because <laughs> okay. last time, last time I tried to clown you about a phrase, uh, I think it was he, who's he on was first, in my and defense. he defended you. Yes, and I was un- that was unexpected. Um. Yeah, so there's that. Okay, good news. It says two minutes on the export, which is about as much time as we have left in this segment. Uh, Here's the thing about fumbling the ball through the end zone. It shouldn't matter where the ball goes! This is the dumbest rule in sports, and the Bills uh, got really lucky yesterday, and it's pretty simple. When you fumble the ball on offense, you keep the football if the defense doesn't recover. Them's the rules. And I know that people want to make the end zone the sacred place, but half the arguments I hear are just wrong. For instance, I heard uh, someone on ESPN, a former player today, going, hey, if you catch the ball and get two feet down and then I punch it out, oh, it's a touchdown. That doesn't happen in the middle of the field. That's not true. That's not true. You have to finish the catch in the end zone. For that exact reason, because it's like, yes, there are magical properties to the end zone. Once you cross the the plane, it's touchdown, plays over, unlike, yes, a first down. But the fumble, by nature, of what we're talking about here doesn't happen in the end zone. It happens in the field of play, because if it happened in the end zone, you would have had to have a ball carrier who had possession in the end zone. 
and thus it would have been a touchdown already. So, what are we talking about here? You're talking about reward. And and the other really dumb argument that's happening today is, well, you can't have people having unfettered access to reach for the end zone. McCall Hardman didn't reach for the end zone. McCall Hardman was being McCall Hardman, careless with the football. That's kind of his thing. It's part of the reason he was let go from Kansas City in the first place. And then they ran out of receivers. And they were like, oh, crap, get him back. At least he did something good sometimes. So at the end of the day, like, it, it, we're, we're talking about a recovery. Are the defense just getting the ball without recovering a fumble? No. The ball doesn't need to go back to the 20. You don't need to penalize it back to the 10. You don't need to invent anything. All you need to do is enforce the rule the way that it is currently written for every other inch of grass, which is, Anthony, you're going to have to turn that light off. That's a, that's a, Anthony's now having a strobe light situation because we haven't had enough technology issues in the last seven minutes. The point is, when you fumble the ball on offense and it goes out of bounds, you should return to the spot of the fumble no matter where the ball goes out of bounds. That's the end. That's my little rant. And if you're trying to make up any other explanation, it's going to be really hard to be simpler than the argument I just made, which is why the one I just made is the correct one. When we get back on the Hoffman Show, Mike Shope from WGR in Buffalo talking about yet another sad day after a painful Bills loss.